rather than selling bits and bytes or talking about bits and bytes, you've got to take the outside in approach now and put that front and center of how you would design those, those storytellings, those narratives. In today's episode, I speak with Sashin Matur, Director of Software and Control for EMEA at the industrial giant Rockwell Automation. We dig into the importance of translating technology and innovation into relevant storytelling for local audiences, how cultural differences influence go-to-market strategies, and why localization is impactful to growth and engagement. Welcome to Beyond Innovation, a series that breaks down the mystique, explores what works, what doesn't, and what innovation really means with experts who live it every day. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Innovation. My name is Justin Sorotin. I'm super excited for my guest today, Sasha Mother, who I've known for probably seven years. I'd say so. Uh, he's visiting uh, the U.S. from Switzerland. We very rarely get to sit across the table from one another, so this is a nice change. It's been a while. It's been uh, a while. I'm good to. I'm. I'm. I'm happy. I'm in your office. I love it. It's been. Uh, it's been ages, and we've typically had to do this either over a uh, screen yeah. or uh, through WhatsApp. So this is a. This is a nice change. Um, so we're going to take a little divergence from what we've done over the last, uh, you know, ten or so episodes, where we're really going to talk about how not just how innovation is built but how innovation is delivered. And we're going to look at that from the lens of how you manage this in different parts of the world. So Sashin has a particular expertise in that, and we're really excited to, to dig into this. So why don't we first let you um, introduce yourself, All right. and we'll go no, from there. Thanks, thanks Justin. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. This opportunity was just perfect. The stars aligned. It did. I had it was, a business trip. Great. I had to be in Providence. Or near Boston, it just works. So, yeah, um, I am the director of software and control uh, in Rockwell for the EMEA region, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And and really, what I'm responsible for is 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 kind of the bridge in Rockwell between the core innovation groups, the headquarters that is really building new disruptive technological innovations for the industry, manufacturing industry, and then taking it to market in EMEA. Because I think, and we've got these similar positions and teams in every region because, you know, there are regional differences and, you know, there's a fair amount of uh, focus in Rockwell to ensure that we can take these new technology and innovation to market appropriately. Got it. So that's what I'm responsible for. Okay. So let's just put a little context to that. Um, you live in Switzerland. So give us a sense of like, when you say you're the bridge between the innovation that happens in some other part of the organization, yeah. Rockwell is enormous. It is an enormous company. Ginormous, yes. And so give us a sense of like what that means from the standpoint of how you connect the dots from what they're doing to then what your regional needs are specifically to that customer base. Right. So if you if you think about any any cycle from innovation to sales, right? You've got industry and market intel that happens. That market intel then gets fed down into innovation groups who then go through some sort of a business plan. They prioritize their innovation into phases. Let's call it into projects or programs. 
they start innovating, they have all the sort of commercial reasoning for why they're doing certain types of innovation, and when they're kind of ready to go to market, they start to flow that information out into the world, into their dreams across across the globe. So Rockwell's, of course, you know, very similar. Um, and And that bridge that I talked about, what I'm responsible for, is to ensure that all that rich knowledge that we gather at the very beginning of innovation stages, why, the why, right? It's always about why, right. um, that it's not lost. Because more so than ever, technology is always a driver or has been, but now I think we see a shift, right? People are seeing technology just as an enabler, right? Right. The the, the strategies, the why, the, the human factor, what customers want, what are the outcomes? That's key contextual information. But of course, I think um, I think a lot of that is a is an evolving step, um, especially with new technologies in a, in a company like Rockwell. I mean, Rockwell's a 120 year old company, right? So they've seen. I have to say this, right? They've seen Industry 2.0, Industry 3.0, Industry 4.0. Right. Right. So they they've seen in they've seen evolution, they've seen change. So that's not new for them. What's new is just the tech that they're building. Right. So what I'm responsible for is to ensure that I take all of that information, I push for it, and bring it into the bring it into a region that has, call it four subregions. You've got core Europe, you've got Middle East, Turkey, and then Africa. Right. And you've got to make sure you work with those regional leaders to ensure the the information that the why technology was being built, what was the solution that was innovated on, what was the problem statement that it is front and center for the sales organization. So I am in that in that middle group to ensure the sales organizations are empowered to go in and talk to customers about something that is for us completely new, or it's it's becoming part of the dna now mm-hmm. but but it has been it is new mm-hmm. and um and that requires a different set of go to market motions right it's interesting cuz so on here we've had uh Bose head of corporate strategy the a leader of a local agency here whose focus is on on sort of strategy and what you're describing is storytelling. It's like translating technology and innovation into storytelling that then is relevant to a local audience. And it's interesting that like, for those who don't know what Rockwell does, Rockwell is an extremely technical organization making industrial hardware and software to support industries all over the globe. Yeah, yeah. And the idea that storytelling then becomes a part of this business is uh is probably quite new to the organization as a whole yeah i'm 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 glad you used that word so when i started in rockwell um and i of course you know got a team together and we talked about what's our charter as a software focused group for go to market yeah you know what is our charter because we're more or less new in terms of taking new business to market not new employees but taking new business to market Mm -hmm. And those were the exact words my team all together used. We need to be more storytelling. Interesting. We can't go with, here's one product, here's the blue boxes and the red red things, right? And, and then you talk about, here's another product and that it does X, Y, and Z. We had to, or, and we continue to, build a cohesive story together for go-to-market. 
Got it. Because like you said, Rockwell's a, a hugely technical organization, has been, will be. It serves how many ever thousands of customers in various industries. Um, so rather than selling bits and bytes or talking about bits and bytes, you've got to take the outside-in approach now and put that front and center of how you would design those, those storytellings, those narratives. So when you go buy a car, you don't want the, the car seller to tell you this door is five kilos, so it's strong and, and, <laughs> and safe. You've got five and six airbags and, you know, you've got this Bluetooth version 5.1. No, you want a whole story, right? Right. You, you want to say, okay, this car can do X, Y, and Z things. It can get, you know, if it's a hybrid car. I just bought a hybrid car, for example. Yeah. The guy didn't sell me on, um, on the bits and bytes. He said, yep, it'll, it'll, you know, it's, it's kind of sustainable. It uses X amount of power. And if you have day-to-day -day trips, you know, you don't have to fill fuel. So you'll save money. And as a consumer, it's like, oh, I can save money because right. my day-to-day -day trips doesn't need fuel, right? right? It's just electricity. So I, it's, it's just that narrative that becomes really, really important. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy. No. In a traditional industry like manufacturing, it takes a fair amount of proactive effort to do that. And I'm saying proactive because a lot of times, you know, business priorities and business strategies put pressure on numbers, right. which is natural. Right. But yeah, it's teams like mine, which I'm really glad that that's the, these sort of teams exist. It's not just innovation to sell. You know, you've, you've produced something, go and sell. Teams like mine are, are designed and, and put in, in into the organization to ensure we don't lose focus on that narrative. We don't lose focus on providing context. Right. It's super important to provide context of why certain things are being done. It's interesting because in the technical fields, I feel like I, I hear this more in the technical fields than I hear this in sort of consumer brands, but from the customers that we work with, when the, when the technical aspects of the solution lead which is likely what Rockwell does. It's what a lot of our large technical customers yeah. do. There's a gap that naturally occurs between the technology and the user. Mm -hmm. And we talk about innovation in this, uh, the traditional idea of innovation is that technology side. But what you're getting to is Rockwell's working to create innovation within the way that that technology is distributed to customers, yes. which sometimes gets lost in this, right? Like you can't just come up with the next great widget. You have to come up with the entire system for getting that great widget to the person at the time they need it, delivering what they want yeah. when they want it. Can you, can you just, before we got on, we, we, we were talking about the very different challenges of working in Europe specifically, or EMEA, we could mm. call it, yeah, yeah. versus working in North America where we have one language. We have broadly, while we have cultural differences, we broadly have one culture. Yeah. I would argue that includes Canada. Canadians might get mad at me, but we're, we're more similar than we are different versus what you deal with in EMEA. Can you kind of touch on what that, what that looks like for you? Yeah, it's, it's a complex maze. I'll just start there, right? Um, EMEA, and, and for that matter, even Asia-Pacific, that's a complex maze of various things. It's almost an equation of going to market. So you talked about innovation beyond technology, in, innovation in go-to-market, innovation in how do you actually tell the customer what you've done, not 
just the bits and bytes. So when we come into regions and, and massive regions like Europe, Middle East and Africa, which in a lot of companies are treated as, as kind of one region. Right. There are actually four or five regions. Right. Cultural differences, of course, the way that country is grown and, and what their languages are, what their, you know, what their industry have has been since the late 1800s, 1900s, how, how their economy has grown. All of that is part of the equation of how you would perceive, sorry, I'm going to restate that, how they would perceive what you're telling them. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So. You know, EMEA, for example, if you go to the Nordics, they have a certain way of doing business. It's it's um, it's very practical. Their their conversations are very direct, right? <laughs> yeah. But they're also super innovative people. Right. You come start coming down, let's say, into Western Europe of France and Germany and Austria, and you start seeing a very structured engineering mindset. And they have a certain way of perceiving innovation and then thinking about how can they deploy it. The right. rate of adoption in all of these sub-regions is different. So do you actually tune the way you tell your story? Like if you're telling a story to a Norwegian group versus a Spanish group versus a Turkish group, are those three different stories? They're not three different stories. Okay. Because the outcome of a problem statement is the same. Okay. You've got to build a little bit of perception. You know, there's there's a lot of this personal handshake type of business that happens in EMEA. Mm -hmm. It's structured, of course. Don't get me wrong, yeah. right? Um, but it's it's you've got to understand the problem statement, even though it might be the same from an innovation standpoint. You've got to look at the challenges deep down on the ground, right? Which will be different, right? A manufacturing facility producing something in Turkey versus in Sweden, they will have different challenges. Got it. They will have different set of priorities because their strategies will have different priorities. And their strategies will have different priorities is because of the country and the economy they're in. I see. Okay. Right. So I'll give you an example. I was on a, I was on a, um, on a round table with, with some customers uh, a month ago. Mm -hmm. They had customers from Africa. We had customers from Middle East and, and Europe. They all talked about, you know, challenges with, you know, data collection and cloud and X, X Y, Z, everything in innovation that I think you've talked about yeah. in your series. Yeah. You've seen it. You and I have seen it for seven, eight yeah. years. But when we start sort of peeling that onion right to the core, for example, the guy from Africa said our corporate strategy and our priority is to drive energy efficiency and energy management. Hmm. So whatever data collection, IoT, connecting devices you want to do, our focus is that. Hmm. Interesting. Right? And and I, for one, didn't expect that at all. No. I know sustainability and ESGs are being talked about, but he said energy management is our top priority. Hmm. And that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, you, of course, go into the big countries, the big Western European countries, and, you know, they're like, yep, optimization, we've got to have, you know, this much time, time to market and output and reduce downtime, whatever, whatever the outcomes are. Mm -hmm. But that was very specific. So it really depends. It's the problem statement, like I said, might be similar. The end solution might be similar. But I think the end outcome that they're looking for is different. Is different. Interesting. And these are some differences you've got to be very cognizant of you've got to be and that's why i think 
I know we're again getting into sort of business sense, but it does feed off from the culture and totally. the economy that they're in, and that's a whole—it's a whole other equation right. of going to market and talking about how you uh, give information. I mean, we we we've shared in some collective projects over the years where we've been asked to go into facilities all over the globe, and it's really a—it's interesting to see the unexpected um, differences going into a place in North America where you'd expect a certain level going into a place in Turkey was the example that, mm. that, that we were talking about where we went into a facility in Turkey where it was virtually lights out. Yeah. Unbelievable level of technology that was integrated within that facility. And, um, and then you come to a facility here in North America and you have, you know, people with sticky notes trying to keep track of travelers in a, manufacturing setting and you go to a facility in Turkey where there isn't any of that, it's all digital, it's all handled automatically. And the owner of that facility was like, that was his mission was automate, automate, automate. And it, it, it gets to this idea of like being able to really listen and observe the audience. And I feel like you personally have, um, your background makes that different than it yeah. would for, Certainly somebody like me, I grew up in the States and our, our job is to have our eyes and our ears open, but can you, can you kind of get into that a little bit on your side? Yeah. Cause you have, you have a pretty interesting personal background. background. Yeah. It, and maybe I should say it's a fortunate experience I've had Yeah. to have such a bit of such a perspective. So, you know, yes. Um, traditionally I'm, I'm Indian. I was born in India. I was raised in India until I was 12 years old. My, my father was moving, so we moved to the Middle East. Okay. So I did my high school there. And then, and that was a great, ex that was the first great exposure. And I'm talking about Middle East when there was no massive Dubai or Abu Dhabi. I'm right. talking about when I was just growing in, I think it was 1998, 99 kind of years. Yeah. Um, and, there, yeah and then I moved to Australia for, for higher education and Australia became my home. So most of my life, I've actually lived in Australia. Got it. And and that gave me a, um, another perspective of an Australian culture, which is different. It is it is a Western country, you know, you, a lot of people would perceive is that, yeah, Australian America is same. It's not. Not. No. It is not. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, being fortunate to have such exposures, working in global companies, um, living in Australia, but then traveling and working with, for example, Brazilians, um, of course, Americans and uh, and Europeans was great, and then again something fortunate. I moved to the to Europe, right in the center of Europe in Switzerland, um, for an opportunity, and for the last five years I've seen how, and I'm still trying to learn. Right, it's it's an it's an ever learning process right. of how various cultures um, talk to even to each other. I mean, if you go to to Central Europe, right, you've got sort of Germany. Austria, Switzerland in the middle. Right. They all speak German. Right. They all speak German. Right. But they're they're different people. Right. And if you tell them, ah, oh, you guys are the same, no. No. <laughs> They'll not take <laughs> They'll, that well. They will bristle <laughs> at that idea. Yeah. And so, rightfully so, because they are really, really different. They are. Yeah. They are. And, you know, from however they've grown as a country and as a culture and what they're doing now, you know, from a country like Switzerland, which is so financially driven in right. terms of market to Germany, and Austria, which is so engineering, industry heavy. Right. It's, yeah, there's variances. Right. Right. So, and um, so, yeah, for me, having that experience in life 
and that percept the the ability the ability to to be able to perceive those things let's say a little, maybe a little bit easier than than somebody else really helps it it makes me a little bit of course like i said before more culturally sensitive i'm more um aware mm-hmm. of of the audience right. that i'm around um and i think um i think now with globalization a lot of people are getting into that stage of being able to perceive a lot better yeah i think it's interesting cuz in the i i'm 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 going to speculate but in the software world which is the world that you are living in currently yeah there has become this notion that you can market your software glo- it's software right click the link download start yeah i don't need a person to set it up i don't have to go to a, an office or a facility or a wherever to bring a piece of hardware i don't even sell them tangible goods so the ability to deliver on a global scale for software focused companies feels like it should just happen right it's not but it doesn't and why and and, and well you answer that correct <laughs> yeah that was a rhetorical question yeah. for you um we've got to keep in mind um what what you just said everything is true double click install right we expect that i think in the consumer world a lot mhm right that's where we are expecting our responses from technology coming from and i think maybe in 10 years time as you know the workforce is retiring new workforce is coming in they will the the workforce will bring that culture and expectation into into workplaces so if they don't have information on their hand in a minute or in 30 seconds they will go up to their corporate bosses and say you know this is a waste of time for me right i can't work here speculating right but when you talk about you know why doesn't double click software work even in industrial industrial places again you you've got to think about maybe you're you're saying it from a maybe in north american perspective if you think about it, it's a, it's very entrepreneurial right we know america you know united states have been very as a very entrepreneurial right. country um there is a lot of pockets of entrepreneurs and startups coming up across the world now of course in in europe as well but i think still they don't have that trust mm. of double click install hmm. in an industrial space interesting it that, that it that's not there yet we're not there yet as an industry i think again small to medium maybe large corporate organizations no right no you you've got to go through a lot of again you, you've got to start building those those bridges you've got to have that consultative approach with them as to why you're asking them to do certain things if you're if you are asking them to say hey we've been doing business together for a long time we're coming up with this new solution it'll help you in these ways it's just a double click install you're not going to have that right and that comes with i think the way probably they've been doing business for a while but also um building that trust over conversations multiple conversations if you're trying to build some new software into a mix mm-hmm. again into manufacturing facilities that that's what we're talking about it takes time yeah it does and and i think it's it's a, it's multiple factors like we just said yeah and i feel like the experience that you've gone through um in your prior job and the experiences you're going through in in the the position you're in if you go all the way back i mean you were in mining what yeah. seven years ago seven eight, eight years ago. and so like being able to understand like okay 
that uh, the needs of the local organization are different depending on the way that their cultures are built. And you just saying, here's a website, click this button, download, install, isn't going to cut it when you get into the nuances of all those different cultures. Can we, can we, um, can we just dig into a little bit this idea that what you are building is new within Rockwell is probably relevant to lots of organizations who are trying to do this across the globe. And so we all have this, uh, I'll call it probably unhealthy obsession with growth. <laughs> and most, <laughs> we could have a whole conversation about how that's an unhealthy obsession. But this unhealthy obsession with growth means organizations are constantly looking outside of their borders for opportunities to grow. Yeah. Rockwell being a, uh, whatever, 120 year old company based in Wisconsin, having done, uh, industrial, industrial I mean, uh, when I think of Rockwell, I think of industrial motion control. Yeah. Like that's the core, right? You, you move things back and forth basically. And, uh, and so, okay. There's a point at which you, you, you saturate a market. And you start saying, okay, well, let's go get another market and then let's go get another market. So, so can you just talk a little bit about the genesis of the way that your job was, was created and the differences between the way that you have had to, to manage it versus the way that the organization managed it before you Bef got there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rockwell's been in, in, of course, in growth motions as well. Of course. Lots of customers. So you could almost say, okay are there new markets we could go into or how do we grow into current markets and current sure. install base? Thousands of customers. So the, a lot of conversations we are having now, existing customers or even new ones, it's the value add. Right. Like you said, yeah, Rockwell, okay, PLC, SCADA's motion controls, move machine back and forth. Right. <laughs> Beyond that. Right. So what's the value add that Rockwell's now providing with software, with, with cloud technologies, with this whole IoT gen? What is it that we are doing differently that can help us capture the market. So, and where does my position fit in from before? How it was done previously, especially for, for my role, was mm -hmm. because as software was growing, you know, Rockwell was, was in that growth mindset. It still is in a bit of a growth mindset. And, and what was happening previously with regions was a lot of people from corporate, because of their innate knowledge of the company and the workings of the strategy and so on, they took some really, really capable people and started placing them in these various regions sure. over the last, let's say, you know, whatever, 10, 15 odd years to ensure that we gain knowledge, mm -hmm. understanding of the regions, how far they're doing business, and bring that intelligence back into corporate. What's evolved now in that with, with let's say, my position is the speed of that exchange is required. Ah. The speed of communication with the speed of with the rate of change, you've got to keep up with that. And we can't have this waterfall approach of a massive time to learn, take that feedback, give it to corporate strategy, build a strategy, execute the strategy, bring it back into the region to execute. Right. I think it's iterative. Right. And what Rockwell's done now for the EMEA region with me, and there's of course another counterpart in Asia Pacific like that and in Latin America, who are local to those regions. Now, right. you can argue I'm not local American, <laughs> local European, but but you get the point, right? Yeah. It's, it's about having somebody who's 
based out of there, who's living there, who's got a vested interest there to live and, and grow into that country or into that region, who's got experience with people in that region who are all different, right? to be able to build on that quickly for the company and for corporate. So I think as, as my positions come in, I think the key difference is, of course, the expectation is that we will be able to have that rate of change communication and the evolution much more quicker. So as a whole company that we can, we can learn a lot more quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of organically grow that experience of regions multi-regionally. Right. So, you know, we have, um, we have uh, meetings or, or whatever where we get all the regional leaders together who are all from different regions who right. are talking about a similar topic. Right. And what you get is a very information-rich environment and data. Right. And instantly. And, that's, and do you, that's the point, instantly. Do you see then that this rate of, because the rate of change from the technology side has grown, I can only assume that the rate of change from the storytelling perspective has to also grow with it. Yes. And so does this, does this strategy for putting regional leaders in place who are pre-educated uh, on the local region help to navigate that problem? Is that, is that fundamentally where you're headed with yeah. all this? Yes. We're, yeah. we're there already, right? Yeah. Um, because that, that was the fundamental idea, to be able to keep up with it quickly. Right. You know, we're not talking about an era where a product was coming out every three, four years because you've got to go through all the hardware development, the printing and manufacturing, and then bringing it. We're talking about software, which is so quickly changing. Right. And the ability to change that has to be kept up with how you would take it to market. Right. We can't wait for even a software product to be released and then wait nine months for it to be tested, proven in one market, and then bring it to another market. No, you've got to do it in parallel. Right. And it's also the need of the industry. So you've got to keep up with the need of the industry. And I think that's where this way of going to market, especially in the software world, is is working well, I would say, right? Because, for example, I have guys in my team who are all multicultural. Right. I've got a I've got a person from from Ukraine, but living in Germany. I've got a person who who lives in Poland. I got three guys who live in Italy who are Italians. Mm-hmm. I've got one guy who is originally Iranian but lives in Germany. Mm-hmm. I've got a guy in Belgium, and right. their perspective. But that guy who lives in Belgium, sorry, is South African. <laughs> Of course. Right. <laughs> Why not? So now you've got a mesh of people who understand a culture they come from, but they also understand the economy they're in. Right. And it's a great mix. Right. And I think that gives a very um, big advantage to understand the information that the corporate's giving. Right. Pair it with the um, the region we're in, and then find out the. Let's. I'm gonna use the word easiest and simple, non-complex. Yeah. yeah way to deliver that message, that storytelling. At the end of the day, it is storytelling for that region. Right. I think it's interesting that you say easiest because... We undervalue the word easy. We Let do. me just say that. We do. We undervalue the word easy so much. Yeah. Because we make our lives complex. Yeah. And I think the more complex the technology that's being delivered, it's almost like a, a badge. I mean, I remember hearing this from some developers working on a really complex piece of software, which they told me with a straight face, these people are really smart. 
this software does a lot of really sophisticated work. It's supposed to be hard to use. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, that's not how the world works, yeah. right? Like, my phone's really complicated. Yeah. The stuff that the phone does is extremely technical, but that doesn't mean it should be hard to use. Otherwise, everyone's going to throw it in the trash. Sure, exactly. So, so yeah. but, but in non-consumer markets, especially in technology-driven yeah. industrial markets, industrial. there's still a little bit of that mindset, like... Yeah. No, well, you got to be. If it's easy, it's it's there's something wrong. With something's it. wrong. Yeah. Right? I know. What, 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 you know, I mean, if you remember when you and I worked together, um, and and we we were developing these these new edge tech. Yeah. Um, it was easy. It it literally was a double click install for an industrial yeah. market, if yeah. you remember, right? Yeah. But it was still a complex way to go to market because yeah. the acceptance for something like that was hard. Yeah. I mean, the Does configuration really onboarding was click, 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 and it's onboarded. Yeah. It wasn't like bring a, an engineering tech For in five and days spend five and days exactly. and configure your system. It was just, yeah, you could do this all by yourself. Read the serial number, mm. type it in, mm. and it's in. And they were like, well, yeah. well, how do they know it works? And it's like, well, because yeah. so, we so, could do that. So having, so having you know, those sort of local people, people who think yeah. globally but can act locally, yeah. it it gives another sense of appreciation to the end customer. Right. That you've got somebody locally who may be able to speak the language most likely, um, can transact with you, can make you understand, can have that consultative approach. Right. And can have that step approach for you to say, okay, you're growing as a company. You're traditional in nature. We can help you grow because we, we've been there. We're eating our own dog food as well. Let's go through that together. I think that appreciation, right? It's not also all about culture and perception, right? It's about ensuring you can contextualize the information for them. Right. It's a, it's a multitude of things, right? It's right. not just you do innovation, you go to market. Right. No, there's, there's a whole host of things in the middle that are soft things that right. you've got to be aware of. Right. I, 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 I think that that is an underappreciated step yeah. that is always required. And it doesn't matter if you're Rockwell or you're a software startup. Yeah. Or you're making... Actually, yeah, software startups is, is no different. It's no different. No different. Right? Like you can't just... I mean, I was just a part of a user study, brilliant technology. They haven't gone to market yet, but they have so much storytelling that's required in order to make their technology uh, understood mm. as to why you really need this. Um, and that's probably their biggest challenge. The technology works great. It's like magic. But the storytelling is complicated. And I think that, that that storytelling piece that lives in the middle and having somebody, I mean, you have a technical background. So having somebody with a technical background in that position makes it all the better. Somebody who can do storytelling with a technical background in the language, air quotes, not necessarily in German, yeah. but in the language of the customer, customer. without that trio, you're kind of just flying blind. You're just sending stuff yeah. into the internet and hoping yeah. they download and, it. And, you know, just 30 seconds in the language piece. If you do that in the language, the amount of confidence that you gain in I the bet. market is 10 times. I bet. Yeah. Sure, English is considered the language to do business in. When we start going into markets like Africa, into, into you know, Middle East, smaller Middle East countries, or even Asia for that matter, language is super important. Interesting. Because that builds another level of trust. We build trust when we talk in English. Right. You can build trust when you start talking in, in Turkish. Right. Right. Right? With a Turkish guy who can speak English for sure. Of course. But if you can start... A business conversation in the language it's a completely different ballgame it's interesting it's you. interesting that you say that because i feel like we are certainly 
we we are we are less and less appreciative of the fact that if you speak the native tongue of the person you're trying to engage with that you have an ability to connect that's really natural yeah and that natural connection is much much harder when one or the other is speaking a non-native language or when if you're trying to tell that story you're trying to do it in their non-native language. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. and yeah, think it from their perspective, outside-in perspective, yeah. right? They're trying to understand very hard. They may, they may, you know, they probably don't, everybody learns English for more or less in schools these days, and they've grown up with it. But just the appreciation that you would get is is another level. You're right, so, and that's that's globalization. Right, you're a global company, but you're trying to go into different markets. That's how we started this conversation. Yeah some little nuances like that and it's not really a nuance but i'm just putting it like that helps it helps yeah okay so this is great if we're gonna wrap this in a little bow you've now done this for two organizations that Mm -hmm. i'm aware of Mm -hmm. you've now done this for years and years and years across I don't know, even know how many countries. I have no idea what your frequent flyer miles were like before COVID. Well, I have an app that says I've been around the moon twice. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> That's crazy. That's too much. So does it just keep charting like how far around the moon you're going with each of the flights that you get on? Yep. Jeez. So, so can you just give us a couple of nuggets of advice for organizations who are considering moving into global markets? Uh, specifically within the software and technology space to allow them to kind of frame up how they might, how they might think about this. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, again, keeping it simple, right? Partner with somebody locally. Right. I think that's the first step. You, to have an appreciation of a market you want to grow into, whatever that is, right? A wide Europe, some countries in Europe, whatever it is, go and find someone there who can appreciate your domain and the technology or products you're bringing in but who knows the market right you know that that partnership with somebody someone locally rather than you just you know saying okay i'm gonna put a pod up from my headquarters into that country and they'll figure it out will be a much harder feat than going and and having a, a a global approach like i said right have somebody there who can explain your business but also have somebody there who who can actually tell you how things work right it's like a tour guide right Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's, uh, that's really good advice. And I feel like the, the globalization of technology is growing at a clip where people are forgetting the fact that someone on the other side has to get excited about what you're delivering. And the best way to get them excited is to do it in their own air quotes language, but culture. Yeah, and I know, I know we talked a lot about some, some heavy topics, but at the end of the day, you want to create enthusiasm. Yeah. And I think you used the absolute right word. And again, we can go on this for hours, right? You've got to create excitement. Right. You want to tell a story that'll create excitement. Think about ways that they can perceive it, not how you're selling it. Right. You can sell it 10 different ways because that's your domain. Right. Think how they'll perceive it. Right. And if you can get that equation... That's that's a that's that's a success factor there. That's great. That is a perfect statement to close this on. Cool. Thanks right. for thanks for coming in. No, thanks, nice Justin. To this see was you good. In person. Yeah, yeah, it was good to see you in person. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you.